Hi, welcome to the Freudcast. As giant leaps go, JJ Chalmers has made more than most, and literally as well. As Lance Corporal serving in the Royal Marines in the Afghan war, JJ was caught in an explosion that killed other soldiers and left him with life-changing injuries. Despite struggling to cope for years afterwards, JJ's involvement with the Invictus Games then led to working for Channel 4 on their coverage of the Paralympics. And most recently, that literal leap I mentioned when JJ swapped the Green Beret for shiny sequins to compete on the BBC's Strictly Come Dancing. JJ spoke to Freud's own former soldier, Ed Lane Fox, and he began by describing his time in Afghanistan. Essentially, we're working out small checkpoints, which were sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a box, you know, the size of a football field with high walls all around. And there were maybe about 15 of you guys living in there. But more importantly, it was about the area that just sat around it, the few square kilometres that sat around it, which were essentially our beat. It was our area that we had to go out and patrol uh, and, and that we had to get to know and, and most importantly, get to know the, the people that lived there, because our job was to try and provide them with some well, with the things that we take for granted, essentially, you know, it was to provide them with, you know, the opportunity to put food on their table, to put a roof over their head, to educate their kids and to do those things. They need security more than anything. And that's where we came in. Um, you know, it was challenging in a whole host of ways, you know, a complex conflict, um, extreme heat. You know, it was a country that was pretty much out to get you. And that wasn't just, you know, the bombs and the bullets. That was, you know, as I say, searing heat dodgy animals um you know you're, you're going around with huge amounts of weight on your back so you know a, a twisted ankle or a bad back's not far away um but we soldiered on and got on with it with smiles on our faces because as i say this is what we wanted to do uh, i was there for eight weeks you know we, we saw massive gains in terms of the security around and the way of life around our checkpoint to the point where we began to expand into you know dodgier neighborhoods for want of a better word um, and that's the thing you can either rest at your sort of your limit and say yeah okay job's done we'll hunker down for the, ne- the rest of this tour we're meant to be there for six months and 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 you know and we'll probably all come out of this safely but in reality that's that's resting on your laurels you know why why were we there it was to bring security to as many people as we could so yeah we we, we started poking in some pretty dangerous places. Uh, on the 27th of May 2011, we were in a an area completely controlled by the insurgents, the Taliban, uh, and my, my team in particular were tasked with searching a suspected bomb-making factory. Most of our casualties were coming from improvised explosive devices, these roadside bombs, um, and we were trying to shut that network down by identifying where they were being made, who was making them, and, and, and trying to take these indiscriminate weapons out of the out of the field unfortunately whilst we were doing that search um we triggered one of these devices ourselves um it went off under the feet of one of my friends and it it, it whilst whilst i wasn't caught in the immediate part of the blast i was caught by the rubble that comes off of these things because they're buried in the ground and it just destroyed my body from head to toe um, I mean, it crushed my face, broke my neck, did significant damage to both of my arms. I mean, I really should have lost both of my arms, really. Um, but but except for, in the, in the very first instant, the incredible work of 18, 19-year-old lads that were there to, to give me my first aid onto a helicopter, an American Blackhawk helicopter, to Camp Bastion Hospital, you know, the, the best trauma hospital that the UK owned at the time. Um, stabilized there for 24 hours and back in the UK within 48 hours. Uh, opened my eyes a week later 
And in some respects, that was, I mean, not to make it sound dramatic, but in some respects, I had died and come back to life in so much as here I was reborn in a new body. And I had to learn everything again, basically. Yeah. And I mean, your your dad wrote very powerfully about, you You know, you looking like you were hooked up to sort of Dyson machines and things for, you know, for many, many weeks. I mean, those those early days, there were sort of ups and downs and, um, you know, things things started to go well. And, you know, I, I, I read your, you know, your brother put out a, a call on Facebook when you were having your face reconstructed to get suggestions about making it look better. So there was some humor. But, you know, that were those early days sort of, you know, two steps forward, one step back? Uh, not even just the early days in fairness that that was the process for the best part of five years now the steps got a little bit longer but you were never far away from a step back nothing was a straight line you were always kind of putting up with whatever it was and the the strange thing was that I had never broken a bone never had a stitch never been in hospital and here you are essentially you know you're a medical marvel by this point you are an unexpected survivor someone that should have died um, and because of science, because of doctors, nurses, incredible healthcare, you've 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 defied the odds somehow. Um, but as I say, you know, a new body being rebuilt around me for the best part of five years. But it was just it, we were just completely walking into the unknown. Like you know, that was the amazing thing about it to this day. In fact, um, yes, you know, when I th- there were horrible, horrible times. I mean, I remember in the very first days, I made them move the clock from in front of my bed because at this point I'm ahead in a bed. I've got, my arms are in, you know, casts that are, you know, suspended off of drips and my legs, as you say, were just, you know, I was covered in bandages and vacuums and I'm being fed through a tube the lot. And all you can do is look at the clock in front of you that just doesn't seem to move. And you you know that at that point, when I first woke up, I knew I was going for a surgery about 16 hours later. And all I wanted was to be unconscious again because I was in so much pain. So I made them move this clock because I just, you know, you could only count your your life in hours at that point. And then eventually it becomes days and then weeks, then months. Then it's, you know, I'm back to years now. But it, it was such a drudge in the early stages. But you weren't alone, you know, surrounded by my family. But sadly but you know in some ways thankfully surrounded by blokes that i'd been in afghan with actually Mm -hmm. you know you were you were surrounded by guys going through the same process as you at varying stages all throughout your recovery and you just need to look to them and go right i i can get to be you know as fit and able as him or or actually on the days when they're worse than you then you need to you know suck it up and be the strong one in the room um, and that support network is the thing that sort of really, you know, um, drives you forward and makes you, you know, ignore the excuses, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's it struck me from, you know, from from seeing some of the messages that your your dad had written, I think, to your friends and things that, you know, the, the three things that that got you through was sort of love, uh, a degree of faith and 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 a, a healthy dollop of humor i mean how much uh, you know how, how much of those three things kind of played played between them it's probably in equal parts but at, at any given point they ebb and they flow i think humor is probably at the forefront of it it always has been you know that's that military environment we come from you know i remember you know i lost a couple of fingers for example and the lads when they some came in to visit me they kept bringing me boxes of Cadbury's chocolate fingers like that. That was that became the sort of running joke. Um, 
but you know, every time it put a smile on my face. Um, you know, the love and the positivity that comes from their family around you um, is, is, you know, you are dangerously low on morale. You just cannot find enough in yourself. And then you look to the people around you and the sort of ripple effect that that causes. And you start realizing, well, right, well, I'm not alone. So I'm not doing this for myself. I'm also doing this for others. You know, there is, a, there is, there is other people will take strength from me getting back up on my feet and they'll it'll put a smile on their face and, and they believe in me. So why shouldn't I believe in myself? And then that faith just comes from, just comes from a belief that it will get better um, if you just kind of stick to yourself, to your values, essentially, you know, a lot of my faith in some ways sits around the commando values in many ways, that that kind of unconquered, undefeated spirit It's the Invictus spirit, as we'll, you know, I'm no doubt get onto. And it is just that I think the biggest motivator I had was, aside from the folks around me, was unfortunately people that weren't there. And that was namely the two guys who had been killed in the blast that I was injured in. And when you look at the, their situation, which was that they were snuffed out in an instant, their lives ended just as soon as that bomb went off. Now, I take a little bit of comfort in knowing that they wouldn't have felt pain. They wouldn't have known about it. But they also never had a choice. They never had the choice to give up. And so you just can. You just cannot for a second allow yourself to, to you know, get negative and to get drawn down. And, and as I say, as soon as you do, that's a disservice to them. But as soon as I did, that's when my wife would come in or whoever it was and just kind of put their arm around me and and remind me of just just what I was fighting for, basically. Yeah, I was I was struck by, you know, how often you've referred to to Ollie and Sam, you know, in in when you're recounting, you know, the 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 experiences. And, and clearly, you know, even your even your dad was sort of, you know, very early on writing about, you know, giving thoughts for that for their family and how it was very easy to, to look inwards. But, you know, I, I guess the support of of the other guys and and girls on the on the ward um you know how much how much did you get to engage with them in the early days were were, were you able to chat with each other across the beds or or not so much because it was quite difficult at that stage well at the very initially i was in an icu and i was surrounded on sort of three or four sides by guys that i had literally been on the ground with you know so that my, my mate right next to me had lost his leg in the same blast our boss was across from us in the bed and, I, I, you know, he made it, but I saw him die twice and, and you know, they crashed him and brought him back. Um, and then there were other lads that had been part of our unit and we just filled up the ICU in the space of days, really. Um, and so you didn't really see them except for out the corner of your eye. And Cass in particular, who was injured with me, we were going for surgeries on alternate days, basically. So we just, you know, occasionally we would pass like ships in the night in a corridor and give each other a kind of, and then carry on. Um, eventually, I got moved up to Ward 412, which is out of ICU, but still pretty high dependency. Um, it's the trauma and orthopedic ward. And I, when I moved onto the ward, I was the most dependent uh, person there. And so they put you in a single man room with that. Um, that was partly because, you know, the state I was in, but the state I was about to be in, which was namely that they were about to sew my arm into my stomach in order to transfer, you know, a piece of um, flesh, living tissue from my abdomen onto my elbow, which in itself was a really risky surgery that took six weeks, you know, of, of being attached to yourself. And you are, you know, you cannot do anything for yourself. Um, so that as a result, you put in a single man room. 
um, and then you're full of infection and all the other stuff that goes with it. Um, so I didn't, I, there was guys in four man bays who were sort of waking up to one another, which was, you know, I'm kind of jealous of that, but I just kind of had my own little world, but actually guys, as they got a little bit better on their feet or whatnot. In fact, that guy, Steve McCulley, that I told you that died twice in front of me, he didn't walk in, he came in on crutches, but he came in with a cost of coffee in his hand and it was just like, here you go, mate. And I was like, I thought you were dead. <laughs> I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Um, and so, yeah, more people kind of came in. But the, the entire defence network and, and the military network, you know, from so far afield, it just comes to your aid. You don't want for anything in those early days, basically. Um, and and I think the, the number one thing in hindsight, which I got in those early stages, which has stead me so well to this day, was just someone to talk to and to just lay it on. And to just be honest, and it didn't—it didn't really feel like it at the time, but it was therapy, is what it was. And I'm not talking about doctors, nurses, and your psychologists. I'm talking about anyone that you could just say, "This is how I'm feeling today," and just be honest with them. And and getting that stuff out, I, I never had it. It never was bottled up, and I never got to some critical point because I just—I just let it out from the very from the from the offset. And did that did that help you, you know, did that set you off in a sort of positive pattern as you, you know, obviously after you, you got well enough to leave hospital and stuff, I, I think you, you know, you said at one stage you couldn't even stand on your tiptoes. You were so, you were so weak by the time you started physio. So how, how did that journey kind of take you then through to thinking about Invictus and, you know, that sort of stuff? Well, it, it, it was it was exactly that. You know, I've said I, I'm in this brand new body now. I've got to one learn how to use it, and that's every function of putting a t-shirt on, tying your shoelaces, you know, feeding yourself. That all those sort of human function need to be happening. But the other thing that's happened is you have spent, you know, I spent about seven or eight weeks in a hospital bed, um, you know, with huge amounts of trauma that that requires fuel to to to. To, to recover and they just can't pump enough nutrition into you so you you use all the muscle and fat that you've got uh and with that inactivity you're a skeleton by the time you get out of a bed that's that's why i couldn't stand on my tiptoes because i was just i was gone um so you're you know you're starting from absolute scratch now of course you go to headley court which was the the rehabilitation center for for wounded soldiers um at the time, it's now been moved into a new facility in Stanford Hall, but it was it was at the time the best recovery centre in the world. Uh, and again, you've got guys that you know that had been there for five years and and you know two years, three years, two months. So you're you could see what you could become essentially at that uh, in that place. Um, and, and yeah, one of the things we had to do was just get fit again. Um, and that's a really kind of useful thing when you've got military type minded blokes. And the other thing you find is that uh, we do six month tours in Afghanistan. So the Marines had Afghanistan for six months and then we'd taken over from the parachute regiment for, that had been there for the six months before and in an army unit for six months before that. Headley Court was kind of the same because those casualties kind of trickled through at the same pace. So we arrived and the parachute regiment made up the kind of majority of blokes who were kind of rivals with so it was essentially like all right who's the fittest here who's the you know who can get running the fastest who can get back to you know climbing mountains the quickest whatever it is so it was kind of a healthy competitive environment where you're all doing as i say huge levels of exercise and that's where invictus came in albeit a few years later in the sense that it was sort of the natural progression from the environment where we were sort of 
I, you know, you know it. I mean, you were there at the beginning, Ed. The thing which I find just, I don't know. I mean, what, about what Prince Harry did was the fact that he took what was already existing, essentially, and packaged it. And and I don't think, you know, I, I say now that I took inspiration from the guys around me, but I don't really think I knew that at the time quite so much. But what he was able to do was look into that environment and go, all right, these guys could do with it, but the greater world, people can learn something from looking in on this. Um, and, and, you know, hearing these stories and seeing this resilience and seeing, you know, what, it, what happens when you put these guys in a competitive environment and you give them the tools that they need to sort of express themselves physically or whatever it might be. And that was that's all it was. We were already sort of doing it, but we were doing it in gym halls and we were doing it in rehab you know, facilities and all that kind of stuff. This, you know, Invictus was the natural progression into do you want to keep riding the bike, but do you want to race a bloke from America? And do you want to do it on TV? And do you want to do it with bunting and stuff around you? Um, so like the, the, the vehicle was kind of the same, but what really changed, except for the wrapper that was around it, was the prize at the end of it. It was that clear, right, now I've got a mission. That's what I'm going for. You mentioned, JJ, you know, you were you were kind enough right in the early days to share your story alongside a, a few, you know, a handful of, of other people, you know, to, to give a sense of, you know, who would be competing and, and what it meant. How how difficult was it for you to to sort of relive that on many times? You know, I remember being, you know, Chris Evans studio or, you know, as you say, the documentary and, you know, you had to relive that time and time again. How how did you deal with that? Um, I mean, first of all, I clearly like the sound of my own voice. So that that helps. But in all honesty, it, it was realizing that and, and making sure you made the, the point clear that was my story is one story. There are, you know, there's 110 other competitors from the UK and 400 others from from uh, from around the world. And we're only, a, you know, we're a small number of all those around the world who have lived through experiences like this. But I'm the one that not only has the platform, but also has has the ability to 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 to, to express it because there are guys out there that just will not talk about it. Um, so it became my responsibility to to speak upon it. Um, and again, that became my contribution. So every time it was sort of oh, this again, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get this story out. I I knew why I was doing it. I was doing it for a greater purpose. Um, and as I say, I've always been open. I've always been honest about it. And it really helps saying it out loud. It really, really helps saying it over and over again, even. Uh, and and there, there was there was one point, and I, I still watch the video often. Uh, I was doing the interview for the documentary, what we call the master interview. So you know they sit you down for a good hour or so, and you go through the whole the whole thing. And I don't know what was asked, but I was talking about my time in Afghanistan, my time in the Marines, and I said I loved it. And then I stop and I think about it and you see, you know, have I just used the right word there? Like, do I love this? And then I went, yeah, I loved it. And and I think, you know, that comes from saying out loud rather than compartmentalizing it in your own head. So as I say, it did me good, but it did others, you know, a tremendous amount of good. So, you know, I was more than happy to do it. And listen, it was an absolute adventure. You know that I found myself in the wildest of places. You know, you said the Chris Evans breakfast show there. It was it was an amazing insight as well. Yeah. And and I guess because it's easy for some people to sort of go, well, surely you must regret going, you know, to leaving teaching, going to the Marines, they're going to Afghanistan. You know, there's no regret. No, no. no. I, 
the only things I regret in life is is the things I haven't done. Um, you know, I, I genuinely look back and wish I'd gone to Afghan more times. You know, or you know, or I just take I'd done more of whatever it was in life. Um, but at the same time, you can't have more, you can't have less. You've got it as it is, and I'm extremely proud of the things that I have I've done. Uh, and as I say, disappointed in the things which I missed out on by my own choosing. You know, when things when things have been forced upon you, that's fine. But when you've said no to opportunities, particularly because of you know, and this is earlier life. You know, nothing frustrates me kind of more than thinking about stuff I didn't do because you know, it wasn't perceived as being cool or whatever it might be. Like, imagine you know, jumping forward. Imagine if I felt self-conscious about doing Strictly, you know, and thought, you know, I don't want to get dressed up in sequence. Like that would just be the, the you know, such a travesty to have missed out an opportunity because you're worried about what someone thinks about you. Um, and I never felt self-conscious in the entire Strictly process. I, I loved it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I would do all again and more, but it's also because I know that it's done me good, and. Yes, I live with these scars, I live with this pain, I live with the consequences of it forever. But actually that was that was just one small part of it. And my experience in the military was so positive and did amazing things and made amazing friends, but it shaped who I am today as well. And you know, the the simple fact about it all to really just, you know, having to say it is, you know, people ask me if I would want my children to join the military or whether I would encourage them. Now the fact is, if they joined the military, statistically, they would be better off. That's the, the vast majority of people who serve in the military. Their life is better as a result of higher rates of employment, higher you know positions within employment, you know skills, trades, whatever it might be. Things like this are in the minority. And even when it happens, you can take the minority issue and you can still you know make a positive out of it. <laughs> And, and obviously you've done that, you know, uh, in a way that many, you know, many can only aspire to. But I think just going on to on to kind of your transition to presenting, was it was it during the during the 2014 Invictus Games that you sort of got a sense? Because I know you'd said you always had in the back of your mind, you know, presenting, but didn't know how to get there. Did you did was it then that you thought mm, maybe this is a way to go? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had, you know, I used to sit listening to the radio at school when we were in classes, in the art class, and, and think, I'd love to be a radio DJ, or I watched sports and went, that seems like a great job, I'd love to do that job. This was, you know, a young age, but I, I put it away because I thought, one, you know, that doesn't, just doesn't happen to some young bloke from Scotland, so shut up and get a real job. But the other thing was, was how do you go about it? I've got no idea. Um, and listen, I had, you know, and I, I, you know, I'd had a great education and I'd been filled with confidence by my schooling. Like, you know, I, I had every opportunity to probably do it. And I still thought it was off limits. It was at the point when I'd done Invictus and had this introduction to the industry and I'd seen it firsthand that I then suddenly went, you will never have a better opportunity than now, not least because you can remember that email you got saying you need to be in the studio at this time. Just email that guy, you know, who knows what position it is. They might they might help you out. And actually, the person that really got the ball rolling was Jonathan Edwards, who had presented the Invictus Games for the BBC. And when I was in the studio with him, I just looked at what he was doing and I thought, yeah, that looks both challenging, but, it, you know, it looks like the best job in the world. And that was the thing for me. So, you know, I asked him 
how you go about it, basically. And he introduced me to the right people and people took me seriously and they gave me opportunities. And then I just, you know, I drove forward from that point. But that was absolutely the point where, and the, the other thing as well was when you woke up on the Monday morning after Invictus, it had been incredible. You were at the crest of the wave. You know, you'd been a sportsman, you'd been this, you'd been that. But what were you going to be on Monday? And that that was the thing. I went, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start becoming a TV presenter, I think. And as I say, you'll never have a better shot at it. And, and you, you started that, I mean, quite quickly, you know, the following year you did, you know, the um, athletics in Doha and, you know, and, and, and other kind of sporting events, Paralympic Day and things like that. You know, was that, um, you know, I guess, did that feel sort of still very early days and like this might work, it might not? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Telly always feels like that because because it's a it's a relatively fickle industry that it can all go away in a heartbeat. And it can go away because of your own doing, you know, you can mess up and, you know, on screen, whatever might happen. So, you know, you've got to, there's a plan B always, but there was a significant plan B at that time. Um, and, but at the same time, I always knew that even if that's all that had come of it, it was, I'd still done pretty well. And, and, you know, I'd had my crack at it. I would have been pretty happy with it. I'd say the difference now is that I'm deep enough in that I would be disappointed if if you know far more disappointed if the, the opportunities stop coming because you know I'm, I'm starting to get good at it um but yeah i mean the the, the 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 i put out as many fillers as i could in the first instant and it was sort of you know if i can land you know any you know half of the opportunities that i've sort of facilitated here like the athletics and whatnot and i, I think one of the biggest ones as well was was the invictus games coming back in in orlando now we didn't know if that was going to happen or not from the offset but again, we had an we had an inkling that, you know, how successful 2014 was. Why wouldn't this happen again? Um, and so when that when when the Americans decided to do it in 2016, the BBC had said they would cover it again. You know, it was two things. I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm really well placed, really well placed for the BBC to want to employ on this event because I'm kind of the inside man who's lived through it that no one, you know, very few have. But the other thing for me was the Invictus Games is about creating opportunities to change a life and then move on. Now, that might not happen in one Games. It might take two. Um, but I always felt like, actually, if I play this right, Invictus has changed my life and I don't need it again as a competitor. I need to move, I need to move aside and let somebody else in. Um, but I still want to be part of it. And I just felt like there was the, the, there was progression within the games themselves. And I still believe that, you know, guys moving into coaching or physio, whatever it might be. It's a great incubator for talent that can take you into into a new career um, and then continue to support it in, in many regards. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, on that on that point, I have an admission to crying my eyes out uh, in 2016, seeing you interview Dave Henson in Rio and I was like, two of my friends who have come through the Invictus journey and and are smashing it, and it, it was just incredible. Did 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 Rio feel like you know you'd finally made it as a presenter? Yeah, Rio really did, and and also that I'd made it much quicker than I thought. You know, when when you go through something like Invictus, you, you know your aspiration very quickly turns to the Paralympics. You know, that's the that's the big stage for disability sport and the and the progression. But I I kind of. I remember sort of pleading with people to be like, I will do anything to get there and I will, I'll, you know, I'll do any small job. You know, I'll be a reporter. I'd like to be in front of the camera, but I'll be behind it if I need to be. If that leads into a career within this sphere and to be part of it, not least, as you said, because many of our friends were going there to compete. 
So I kind of wanted to be there with them. Um, so to get a presenter job in the full lineup, you know, and to actually go and get a photo shoot and be on a you know billboard with Claire Balding was just mind blowing. Um, and you're right. I mean, the, the moment Dave Henson and I, you know, for those that don't know, Dave Henson um, lost his legs in Afghanistan only months before me, in fact, um, a Royal Engineer, and he became a, a sprinter. So 200 meters is what he did, double above knee amputee. Uh, and and we were sort of always feeding off one another in the lead up to the games. You know, he was trying to qualify. I was trying to get this job for Channel 4 and sort of like, I'm in, you're in, we're in, we're in, we're going, we're on the plane, like, you know, all the way to to watching him win his bronze medal. And then, as, as Ed said, having him in the studio to interview him. And just, I actually said it midway through the interview. I just went, I've achieved my dream. I'm going to need a new dream now. Like, I can't believe this is happening. But this, this is everything we set out to do, the two of us. And somehow we pulled it off. Um, but again, that was very much, you know, what's the new dream? And that's the thing, real, real, as much as it could have been the end of the story, just as Invictus could have been the end of the story, it was, all right, what now? How do you kick on and, you know, just move forward within, within your new career? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, obviously a massively special moment. And so where do you, you know, you've, you've done, you know, you started out doing sport, as you said, and then, you know, you've done now more sort of, um, you know, kind of Remembrance Day events and, you know, now started doing one show and, you know, those sorts of things. You know, where, where is it, where do you go from here and what, you know, what's the JJ Chalmers per, personal brand that, you know, uh, on the back of Strictly? Yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting, and you're absolutely right. You know, you you sort of tally very much at the moment as well as sort of choose your lane and stay in it in many regards. Um, it, it shifts at times, but tally is very much the, the like experts, uh, less so general presenters in some regards. Um, I, the one of the exceptions to that in some regards is live television in particular, because that you know it, it's less so about what expertise you have and more about can you spin the plates and keep the keep the ship moving and i'm very lucky that that's something which i can do and have done you know hundreds of hours worth of um which you know i've managed to rack up a lot of a lot of airtime uh, i did the commonwealth games for the bbc and i did the sort of the evening the nighttime slot on that which was you know six hours a night for 11 days so you know 66 hours of just you know holding the ship steady it was it was remarkable in a very early part of my career as well um so that live element is the thing which then transcends you into being able to do not just sport and actually live sport is arguably the toughest one to do because it's unpredictable um but then that takes me as i say into being able to do the ceremonial type stuff for the bbc uh, you know the one show and, and and anything which has that sort of live remit but all the, the other thing about being an expert is that you can also be an enthusiast. And that's pretty much what I am. You know, I, I'm passionate about many things and I'm able to, you know, show that uh, and I'm able to sort of bring the viewers on the journey, as it were. Um, but I'm very lucky to have lived the life. You know, the thing I always say is that if I had gone off and become a TV presenter when I left school, how boring a TV presenter I would be, basically, because all I would have is that I've been in telly since I was you know, 18, 20 years old, whereas, you know, I've lived all these experiences, you know, my, my military background is what allows me to speak on, on the Queen's birthday parade, trip in the colour or whatever it might be, you know, my insight to sport, but not just 
the Invictus Games, but what it takes to be an elite soldier is very similar to what it takes to be an elite sports person. So, you know, I understand that mindset comes with that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the one show, for example, they use me for, t for two things in particular. Um, well, military and blue light pieces. So that's sort of, you know, the emergency services and or we're going to be shooting this at nighttime and it's probably going to rain. JJ will be happy to do that <laughs> and they're sort of all weather just stick him in because you know he's not going to complain and get gets you know gets gets stuck <laughs> so those are the things that I'm doing at the moment but yes what you know your question was where does that sort of lead me to from a sporting point of view uh, you know it's the Olympics and that, and that should have happened last year and that really is my dream on hold for the time being the the main reason for that is that having experienced the real Paralympics you know, I think the games have parity. You know, I don't view it as the Olympics and then the Paralympics. It is the Tokyo Games. And those are, you know, one games that happens with a, a week's gap in it, essentially. And so I want to present both of those things. Um, and so that was meant to happen last year. I, you know, fingers crossed, but I'm pretty confident in some regards it's going to happen this year. Um, but, you know, that, that ebbs and flows. As, as you read the news, but we'll see. Um, so that sort of drives that. And then, you know, I just want to continue within that sphere, not least because I just love sport. I mean, it's just a joyous place to be. Um, and then in the ceremonial things, it's all about sort of pushing for the, for the biggest events that are available. Uh, ones that hold national significance and importance because those things, you know, play to my, to, to what I, I love and, you know, what make me extremely proud. And, and you know, when I did the D-Day commemorations, for example, it was just a privilege to be there with these incredible guys and girls. And, it, and you know, I just I just couldn't think of a better place to be. Um, and then, you know, where do you kick on from Strictly? You know, what does how does Strictly change all of that stuff? Probably puts me a bit more into the entertainment sphere, which is, you know, a pretty wild ride to see. Um but it's it's you know I, I would like to dance again, believe it or not. I'm not going to become a professional dancer, but I do miss it. Um, but it, it it really is an opportunity to be seen by a whole new audience, basically, uh, and that you know that really kicks on for for other bits and pieces. The the last thing I would say on it though is that there are parts of me that have never been seen on television. You know, what do I actually do at the weekends? You know, what, what does my life look like, you know, outside of these four walls um, and not just on telly. And, you know, that's things like getting my hands dirty. I was, as you say, a teacher, I was a craft design technology teacher. So there's, there's things I would like to, you know, move into. But the, as I say, the final thing I'll say is that I just want to make good, positive television because, you know, you asked earlier if I if I miss being a teacher and you know having moved away from being a teacher. I think when I do the the best tele work I do, I still feel like a teacher. I'm imparting information and knowledge upon people. I just have a much bigger classroom now, um, and it's all about finding what is the you know what is the message within this that that the takeaway that somebody can sort of glean from it. Invictus is full of that. Paralympics is full of it. Yeah, but so is you know any given sport and and so is the one show you know it's full of really positive helpful stuff particularly in the situation we find ourselves in right now thanks so much to jj and ed and to you for listening as well there are dozens of other freudcasts for you to tune into on apple podcasts spotify and soundcloud keep an eye on what freud is up to on linkedin and instagram as well i'm matt barbette bye for now <laughs>